Today we're shifting gears in terms of our study and, and teaching on Sunday mornings. We have been in the Lenten and Easter season, and we've been working through the Gospel of Mark. Today we are setting aside sort of the next five Sundays to look at the theme and discussion around work. How is it that as Christians we, we think about, we engage in our workplaces, the work we do in our homes, our sense of, of calling and, and what it is God has given us to do? So we'll be looking at the creation of work. We'll be looking at where work is fallen and broken and hard. We'll also be looking at how God redeems and renews work to participate in his greater vision, his renewing vision through Jesus Christ. And toward the end of this month, you'll actually have the chance to hear from some of you out there in the pews how you've experienced God in your work, how you've come to understand his calling for you in those spaces. So as we get underway this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something that may feel a little uncomfortable, a way of thinking about worship that may be new to you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I want you to envision Monday morning, okay? Now, that's not a place many of us like to think about for very long. But I want you to take uh, just, you can close your eyes for maybe 15 seconds or so, and I want you to visualize where you're going to be this time tomorrow morning. Okay, so 8.30, 9 o'clock on a Monday morning. Imagine what you're going to be doing this time tomorrow. And as you conceptualize that, I want you to also notice how are you feeling about that time and that space as you, as you step into it? What are sort of your, your thoughts and feelings about that work? As you've got that sort of in your mind's eye, now I want you to take just half a minute And I want you to tell the person next to you, where are you going to be this time tomorrow and how are you thinking or feeling about that experience, okay? So you've got 30 seconds just, just to share with someone sitting next to you. Hopefully, you got through a little bit of that. If I had to poll you, which, which I won't take the time to do right now, but if I had to guess sort of how we think about our week as a whole, in particular sort of our enthusiasm or where we sort of look forward to in a given week, I'd say that for most of us, you know, starting at about Friday evening, 5 p.m., Right, we're, we're somewhere up here in, our terms, in terms of our enthusiasm. We're feeling pretty good about things. Maybe there's a slight uptick through the weekend. By the end of Sunday, hopefully you're feeling rested. You're feeling maybe more optimistic about life. 
And then suddenly, you know, about 8 a.m. on a Monday morning, there's this sharp decline for many of us. Right? We, we have trouble waking up and getting into our Monday morning routine. And then through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe there are, you know, sort of some ups and downs in terms of, of how we're feeling about things, in terms of our enthusiasm. And that kind of ebbs and flows until we finally slide back into that happy place on Friday afternoon. The work week for many of us, regardless of whether we're commuting to a job or whether the, the work is in our homes, whether we're retired and we have work of other kinds to engage in, right, it, it wears us out, it drains us in many ways. And I wonder if part of why we often experience things in this way also has something to do with our expectations about where we experience meaning, where we experience purpose, even where we experience worship in a given week. The question I would ask us is, as you think about your week, well, where does worship happen for you? And how is that connected to your sense of significance and enthusiasm for what you're up to? If I'm honest, often I kind of assign the the building block experiences of my faith and worship to those after-hours slots in my schedule, right? I might think about maybe a a high point in the middle of the week on Wednesday night when I'm with my small group, that that's a, a place where worship happens for me. I might think about an early morning quiet time. I might think about a Sunday morning gathered worship experience, but quite Frankly, from from 9 to 5, from Monday to Friday, my thoughts about worship and about the presence of God and the mission of God often sort of get shifted over to autopilot. And I mean, even in my work as a pastor, I can spend 75% of my waking life, my working life, with God mostly as an afterthought, with worship mostly as an afterthought. And I wonder if when we do that, that, that's part of why we tend to find the work week less satisfying, less encouraging, less meaningful than those times of leisure we look forward to. This month, as we think about our work, I'll reference a number of different books But if you had to pick one just to get started, if you wanted to order something on Amazon this week to start reading, I'd encourage you to get your hands on a copy of this book. It's called Every Good Endeavor. It was written by Tim Keller uh, and one of his colleagues named Catherine Leary Alsdorf. As I understand it, she actually wrote the majority of the book, but Tim Keller's name tends to sell books a little better. So he gets the big, big font and she gets the little font on the front cover. But I've, I've heard uh, Catherine Leary Alsdorf speak uh, in, a, in a, a handful of different lectures. And she run, runs and, and ran for a couple decades now the Center for Faith and Work as part of Redeemer Church in New York City. And so she has counseled and mentored literally thousands of Manhattanites on what it looks like not for worship and work to be divided, but for those things to be brought back together, to be integrated. And as she's taught and, and sort of coached these, these uh, students of hers, 
She says the first assignment she gives every single one of them is for them to take out their Bibles and to open up to the first three chapters of Genesis. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And she says, if you're going to understand work, I want you to read this text, and then I want you to read it again. And then I want you to read it again and again. Every, every week, every month. She says, until it goes deep, deep, deep into your very being. Because her contention is those chapters not only speak about the, the creation of the world, but they have a lot to say about the creation of work itself. So she says we we need to spend time sort of soaking in those passages until we begin to see work the same way God sees it. This morning, we're going to take that assignment to heart, and we're going to try to let these things sink deeply into us as a church as a a worshiping people, but also a working people. And as we look this morning at the first two of those chapters in Genesis, we're going to be asking one basic question. In the beginning of all things, how and why did God create work? So we're going to open to Genesis 1.1. Let me pray for us as we study the word of God. Jesus, we know from the first chapter of John's gospel that in the beginning, you were there, you were, you were breathing things into life, forming and fashioning creation, making a world in which you desired for us to know who you were, who you are, but also to be partners with you in that creation. Lord, I pray that as we study your word this morning, we would catch your vision, catch the work of your spirit to guide us into the work you've given us to do. Pray now as I preach and teach, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me read for us the first five verses of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. That phrase, in the beginning, God. It's a phrase that is immediately familiar to all of us. We've heard it time and time again. We've heard it so frequently that I think we miss much of what it intends to say. There is a particular sense in which these first five verses communicate to us the world's very first Monday morning, or the very first day of work in all of creation. And incredibly, as as the Bible begins to describe the, the first day of work, It is God turning up to do work. 
right? It says, in the beginning, God created, God fashioned. Describes something almost like a carpenter turning up to his work site on Monday morning. And, and God loses no time in fashioning a brand new world for himself. Verse 2, it says, he, he takes that which had no form, that which was void, and he brings order to it. He begins to give things their proper names. He begins to give things their form and their essence. God goes about the work of creating. And if you think your job is, is big, if you think your job is overextending, well, the job description God provides for his own work here in all of Genesis 1, if we were to look at all six days outlined in chapter 1, we find that more than 30 different verbs are supplied that describe how God is working. God is creating. God is seeing. God is speaking. God is making. God is calling. God is ordering. God is blessing. God is filling. If we want to think about, well, where did work come from? The scripture says that in the beginning, work is there. It's already present. And more specifically, in the beginning, it is God who is working. Now let that sink in for just a second. Right? God works. Right? Do you think about God in that way? That, that in the same way that he has created you to go to work, to labor, to create, to set your attention on a task, that God also works in a similar fashion. Scripture here tells us not only that God works, but he even likes the work he does. Right? It says he creates the light and the land and the water and the gardens and the plants and the fruit trees. He makes stars. He fills the sea. He fills the land with this incredible diversity of creatures. And after each of those actions, at the end of each day of creation, he stops and he surveys the work. And what does he say? This is good. Right? I, I delight in this. This is, this is pleasant. I take pleasure in this work. Yesterday we spent most of our day out in the yard and then the other half of the day down in our basement doing some construction projects. And there was a kind of satisfaction at the end of the day to look on that which had been accomplished. Right? It was good. It was satisfying. Have you ever wondered whether it might be possible that the work you do, maybe in your yard, but, but also nine to five in your place of work, that God might call that good? That that might bring pleasure and delight to God? Pastor Tim Keller, in that book I mentioned a few moments ago, he notes that when the Hebrew text describes God in this first chapter of Genesis, when it talks about the work he does, it uses words that, that are drawn from the ordinary, everyday work of, of laboring, physical labor. And in doing so, it offended the prejudices of the ancient world in many cases. Right? This idea that, that certain kinds of work were dignified and 
much of physical labor was undignified, reserved for sort of the lowest people in society. And so in the ancient world, this also translated into the way they thought about their gods. If you look at the gods of Egypt or Assyria or Sumeria, right, they are above working themselves. And instead, when, when something needs to be done, they created human beings in these myths in order to do the work they didn't want to do, like slaves to do their bidding. That was how the ancient world thought in many cases about work, but not our God and not our scriptures. Right? The Bible says that our God rolls up his sleeves and he goes to work himself. Because our God's view is that work is part of his paradise. Work itself has dignity. And work itself can be worshipped precisely because it is also something God himself does. He actually did it first. God created six working days every week on purpose because work is good. Because work is holy. It's something he does. He delights in. He participates in. And in fact, as we go through the rest of this account, we see that work is not only good and holy, but it's part of the way we image who God is in our own persons. Look at the end of chapter 1, verses 26, 27, and 28. This is the... The end, sixth day of creation. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female created them. God blessed them and then he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Here we we see the very end of God's work week. We started with Monday morning or day one, now we're on day six. And here it says that, that as God comes near the end of creation, he makes something he calls Adam, or what we now call Adam, right? And that word in Hebrew means mankind, it means humanity itself. And of this new creation, this new humanity, God says the most amazing thing. He declares that out of everything in the whole of creation that he's just made, it is this Adam that will bear his image and his likeness. Now what does that mean? What does it mean for us to be made in the image of God? Well, there is a lot to that idea, but I think the the most logical place for us to start is in the very next verse, verse 28. We're having just been given the image of God, just created in, in the likeness of God. Then God says to this new creature, this new humanity, because you bear my image, now be fruitful and increase. Go out and fill the earth and subdue it. Essentially, God says, 
go out there into the world I've just made and start working, start creating, start cultivating, start increasing. Become partners in this work of creation. As the philosopher Al Walters has written, Genesis 1 says that God filled the world, but he did not fill it completely. It's as if when God created, he intentionally left space in creation for us to fill. He made us to to add and extend and, and to continue upon the good work that he began in those first six days. In fact, as Tim Keller points out in his book, God has even designed our world to need our work. Right? Your garden needs tilling. It needs watering. Trees need pruning in order to flourish. Children need conceiving. Children need raising. And so by making us in his image, God deems us his collaborators in work collaborators in creation. God says we're the the core of his leadership team, appointed to bring forth beauty and flourishing in this world. I want you to reflect on that, that truth, that concept in your own context for a second. Have you ever considered your work to be partnering in the work of God? Have you ever thought as you ran a meeting or as you met with a patient or as you taught a class or as you cooked dinner or as you washed the dishes, have you ever thought, hey, I am imaging, I am bearing the image of God right now as I do this? And if you haven't, then try it. Try to stop yourself in the middle of your work and consider how, how has God made me to do this? And is it possible that as I work, as I create, as I bring order to things, that I am actually living into the image of God that he's put in me? What if you actually began to look forward to your Monday morning? Because it's, it's one of the chief places that you get to imitate what God is like in your world. I want to look at one last part of this story for today. We have the creation of of all things as God goes to work. Then he creates us to share in that work. But by the middle of Genesis 2, as, as the sixth day is drawing to a close, God notices that something important to that work is still missing. Look at 2, 18 and following. I'm leaving out a few verses here just for the sake of time. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed it up, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. It goes on to describe in the following verses that that great partnership. Here in Genesis 2, it says that it was found not good for Adam to be alone. And so God 
begins to look for a helper. The word there in Hebrew is the word ezer. And as one lexicon puts it, the the idea of ezer, of help, is something that is required when the strength of one person is insufficient for a task. When you can't do something alone, you need ezer, you need a helper. And that's precisely what happens here. Right? Adam, Adam has, has been wonderfully and beautifully created in the image of God. He has the breath of God now in his lungs. But the problem, God says, is that he is alone in his work. He is incomplete. He is insufficient to do the kind of work that God envisions for him to do in creation. And so what happens? Well, God causes Adam to cease whatever work he's up to. He puts him into a deep sleep. And then in verse 22 of chapter 2, God consummates. He brings creation to an initial form of completion with one final act. Right? He creates woman. And together they become not only a husband and a wife, but God is... His intention is to make them co-workers, co-laborers, right? She is to help Adam in the work of creation, to fill it, to cause it to flourish. They are to help one another in making full the creation of God. And so in creation, not only is God at work, not only does he call us to partner in his work, but then he creates partnership among humanity to be integral to that work. Adam needs Eve to do his work. And Eve needs Adam to live fully into the work that God has given her. In a similar way, just as as God gives us wives or husbands or, or partners that create families, so too he has given us now friends and colleagues to share in the partnership of work. One of the the vital truths that we have to remember is that work always takes place in relationships. Work always takes place alongside real people. And so the, the work we're given to do matters, but so too the people we do the work with matter greatly. I think that's often lost in our current workplaces, right, where efficiency, where self-promotion, where individual accomplishment is prized. Right, often we think about CEOs, we think about innovators, we think about leaders in the workplace. We prize titles that are given to our work. But what's vastly underestimated are, are the teams of people, right, the partnerships of people who collaborate on a daily basis to actually make all of that work happen, that make our world go round. When we look at Genesis 1 and 2, God didn't create subordinates. He didn't create peons in the garden. God created partners. God created image bearers in the garden. And so as we engage in our work, right, who are your co-workers Who are your support people? Who are your helpers that God has set alongside you? 
And are you treating them as true partners, as people who also image God himself? Do you work for their benefit as well as your own? Do you notice the image of God that he has breathed into and placed in them to be alongside you? This morning I've been making the case that the work we do is is forefront in the way God has created our world. It's at the forefront of, of, of how we partner with God, how we experience him, how mission even takes place. But rather than just give you these ideas that God works, that we partner with him in our work, that he has given us one another to partner with, rather than just leave with these truths or concepts, I want to give you three projects that kind of reflect each of these ideas. I want you to think about how you might take them into your week of work. The first one is for us to actually remember that God is in our work with us. God is at work. And that might seem obvious, but again, most of us get so busy doing whatever it is we're doing that we we sort of push God out of the equation. And so a way that you might do this in the coming week is maybe just to create a sticky note on your desk or on your monitor or in your workspace with with some word or phrase that just helps you to remember that God is with me in this, that God is present in the work, that God himself works, and that as I do this, I'm, I'm imaging who he is. Another idea maybe is if you use a, a phone or a calendar to sort of time your day, schedule your day, maybe put five minutes in the middle of your day somewhere where you just stop for five minutes and you reflect on the fact that God is with you. You maybe take a minute just to be still and, and to pray, to listen to a worship song, something to help you remember that what you're doing matters to God, that God is in your work. The second project I would encourage you to consider is to find ways for you to see your work as part of God's work and to notice where God is bringing fruitfulness, to notice and pay attention to where God brings flourishing through what you do. Now, I know not everything we do turns out the way we hope. Not everything has immediate results. But maybe this week, maybe it's at the end of your day, keep a a, a running tally, a list of any good thing that comes from the work you have done that day. It could be a big thing. It could be a small thing. But, But how are you bringing God's kingdom in the things you're setting your hand and your mind and your energy toward? It's important for us to pay attention to that. Third project I would give you in the week ahead is to focus on this idea of partnership. Think of one or two persons that are important to the work you do, whether you work directly with them or, or they're kind of in some kind of uh, auxiliary assistance to what you do. And as you think about those people, when you email them this week, when you see them in the office place, when you call them on the phone, be intentional to pray specifically for that person. Just on your own. You don't necessarily have to engage them in that prayer. Specifically, think about how can I express gratitude to God for that person, for the contribution they're making. Maybe you even reflect that back to them in words. I really appreciate 
this work that you do. It's valuable to me. It's good. Maybe as you pray for them, you can also ask God to help you understand, how can I support that person? How can I be a help to them? How can I partner with them in a way that bears the image and the intention of God in my life? My prayer is that from our time of worship today, God might supply us with a fresh vision for this time tomorrow. That worship doesn't end on Sunday afternoon, but it continues on into Monday at 8 a.m., Tuesday at 8 a.m. And God has given us good work to do.